0: It would no doubt be a little bit challenging growing up with Jesus as your older brother. Again, so happy that all of you decided to uh, show up here today. As most of you have probably gathered again, we're entering into part three of the series today called What Would It Take? Uh, If you're new around here, we just wanna express to you, man, how how thankful we are that you decided to walk through our doors today. We certainly don't take that for granted. Uh, We'd also challenge you to come back at least a couple of times. Uh, We think it takes at least a couple of times for you to really get an accurate feel of of what we're all about here. And our hope and our prayer is that eventually, maybe, just maybe, that this would be a place that that you show up to literally every single week and it's a part of your weekly rhythm and in fact a place that you enjoy and look forward to showing up to each and every week. Now if you haven't been here, for every single week of the series, it's kind of like you're starting a TV show halfway through the first season. And so for that reason, we would really, really encourage you to go to Grumlaw.com slash messages and get yourself caught up there. You can listen to the messages there. You can watch the messages there. Uh, or as always, you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcast. We hope that a lot of you are taking advantage of that, particularly again on the weeks that you're not here. Uh, my guess is, is that just about every single one of us spend a substantial amount of time in our vehicles, just driving around. Why not download those podcasts and Listen to those again on the weeks you're not able to be here. We promise, I promise you, it will be a far better use of your time than listening to that Post Malone album for like the 11th straight time. But just in case, just in case this is your first time here with us today, or, or perhaps you uh, just missed the first couple of weeks of this series, we'll get you caught up to speed real quick. The fre- premise for this entire series really all hinges on this one singular question. What would it take for your brother, like really think about this, what would it take for your brother to convince you that he is the son of God. And we've been challenging you over the first two weeks to, to, to really think about that question. And in fact, in the first week, I really kind of did a deep dive into this and let you know that, that I really tried to process this question. In fact, I even showed you all a, a picture of my siblings, my older brother Trevor, my younger brother Landon, and my younger sister Brielle. And, and I really racked my brain. I tried to think, okay, practically speaking, what would it actually take for one of my siblings to convince me that they were the son of God. And I came to the conclusion, like a lot of you, that there's actually nothing, that there isn't a thing that my siblings could do to convince me that they were actually the son of God. And my guess is, is if you actually thought about that, you would come to the exact same conclusion. Now, what about the details about Jesus's life that that is so compelling? One of these details that just, just demands our attention, particularly if you're sitting here today and you have been skeptical of Christianity at any point in your life. These are the kind of details that you have to pay attention to. A lot of you didn't know this when we spoke about it in the first week, that Jesus uh, did indeed have siblings. We, we know for sure that Jesus had four brothers and from everything that we can gather in scripture and other historical documents, it would certainly suggest that Jesus had sisters as well. And one of the fascinating, really, really interesting details about Jesus' siblings is that they didn't believe their brother. Not not, not one of them believed that their older brother was who he is claiming to be. They, they, They did not believe that Jesus was actually the son of God. Even after all the miracles, even after his ability to draw these pretty impressive crowds, even though he was a very, very compelling communicator, they just didn't buy it. They weren't buying into the idea that Jesus was actually the son of God. And as Jesus got older, one of the details we figure out is that they were kind of surprised that they were a little perplexed that Jesus still hadn't dropped the whole son of God thing. That he was still talking about it well into adulthood. In fact, as he got older, it actually kind of got worse. As Jesus got older, he would continue to talk about this even more and more. And it created, in turn, even more cringeworthy moments as the brothers and as the sisters of Jesus. I mean, think about it practically. When Jesus is young, he's like an eight, nine-year-old little boy, and he happens to mention that, oh, yeah, hey, you guys, just in case you forgot, I'm the son of God. I'm literally the son of God. I mean, you smirk. And you maybe roll your eyes, and, and you look at Jesus, and you go, whatever. That's just Jesus being Jesus. But, but now he's an adult. Picture him well again into his 20s and imagine that you're grabbing lunch with a new couple, with a new family that you met right after church, Jesus' family and this other family. And Jesus just happens to drop in the middle of the conversation. Hey, I don't know if you guys have heard, but um, I am the son of God. I'm not like the son of God. I'm literally the son of God. If you are a brother, if you are a sister of Jesus in that moment, you are putting your head down going, oh my gosh, Jesus, you got to shut up. You have got to stop saying these things in public. I mean, I'm like, you're going to get us into trouble. You have no idea what people are starting to say about you behind your back. People are going to think less of you. In fact, people are thinking less of us for just being related to you. And I really believe that this in particular, especially if you've been skeptical of Christianity, if you've been skeptical of Jesus, this is one of the primary reasons that you would be wise to consider Jesus. Because Jesus' siblings and specifically his younger brother James, he, he went from full blown skeptic to willing to and eventually would be killed for his faith in his brother. And the aha moment for James and presumably for the rest of, of his family that took him from, from eye-rolling skeptic to totally bought-in believer what was something that James saw. See, see, James saw his risen Savior, who just so happened to be his, his risen brother. And as it turns out, and as we talked about in the first week, when your brother predicts his own death and he predicts his own resurrection and then you see your risen brother after just days earlier witnessing him being nailed to a cross and killed on that cross you you do in fact what any of us would have done you believe And, and i think because of the transformation that we see in James' life, that this ought to be something that you think long and hard about as you consider putting your faith in and following Jesus. And fortunately for all of us, James, after seeing his risen brother and now believing that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be, which is the Son of God, he pens for all of us this relatively short five-chapter letter. And that's what we're doing in this series. We're we're diving into this letter from James. We're diving into James' words. It's a letter that I think every single one of us ought to take seriously, no matter where you find yourself on this whole faith journey. And, And not because it's just written for us in the Bible. It's actually better than that. But because of what we see in James' life, from skeptical brother to willing to die believer, and because I think this is such an important document, I actually have a challenge for us for, for the rest of the series. Now, some of you, you'll, you'll moan and groan about this. You're like, I like coming to church, sitting there and then going and eating lunch. I don't want challenges, like get out of here. You don't have to do this. I, I would just challenge you to do this, particularly if you've never really picked up and read the Bible for yourself. Here's the challenge. I want you to read James' letter every week for the rest of this series. Read, read, read it every week for the rest of this series. Now, that can kind of maybe sound like a daunting task, but again, remember, it's literally five chapters long, and so you don't need to be a mathematician to figure this out. Even if you read just one chapter a day, that leaves you every week with, with two cheat days. It will take you literally less than ten minutes a day. There are free Bibles in the back every single week. If you don't have a Bible for yourself, like a physical Bible, we would love for you to take one of those. You don't have to bring it back. You can just keep it. We'd also invite you to download the YouVersion Bible app. We talk about this thing all the time. It's totally free, it's literally for every type of electronic device, Uh, it has awesome Bible reading plans in there, obviously the book of James is in there, one of the questions that I get all the time is what translation should we read, because that can even be kind of intimidating, there's all these different translations for the Bible, we would recommend the NLT or the New Living Translation, Uh, we think it's just kind of the easiest one to understand from an outsider's perspective as you read that, but download that app and begin again to read James every week for the next three weeks and watch as, as hocus pocus as this will perhaps sound to some Of you this morning, watch what God begins to do in your life. Watch how God begins to speak to you through the very words, through the writing of James. But before we go any farther today uh, and we really dive into the meat of what we're going to be talking about, uh, I would love to pray for you and and honestly pray for me, so let me do that. God, we just say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the people that, that have gathered here today. Um, thank you for, for the courage of some of them to walk through our doors for the first time. And I, I just pray, God, humbly that whatever it is that you want to say to each of us today, uh, that we'd be willing to listen. And we'd be a church that is marked by our action, that we wouldn't just feel convicted and wouldn't just feel like, wow, that was special, but we'd actually change something in our lives because of what you're doing. And I'm confident that if, uh, if we're listening, you definitely have something to say to us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I am convinced that, that one of the most frustrating jobs on the face of the earth has to be that of a youth pastor. Because a youth pastor is in this situation where, where you really do want what is best for those students. You, you really do want what is best for those teens, but but they seem to constantly make decisions that despite your best efforts are ultimately not going to be what is best for For them, And I think it's always kind of been of a challenging job, but it was one thing to be a youth pastor 10, 20, 30 years ago. I believe in present day, it's as challenging as it has ever been because it seems like teens more and more are pretty brazen about their poor decision-making and are willing to kind of broadcast those poor decisions to the world at large through avenues like Instagram and through avenues like Snapchat. And it seems like one of the primary roles of a youth pastor, whether they signed up for it or not, whether it was in the job description, or not, is to play that role of like the morality police officer for teenagers, to basically constantly be this compass and this differentiator between what is right and between what is wrong. In fact, one of the questions that a youth pastor is constantly faced with, and I've been on the receiving end of this many, many times as i volunteered with different youth ministries, and in fact, I remember asking this question fairly often when I was a high schooler, when I was a middle schooler, and that question is this, is it a sin to fill in the blank? Is it a sin to do this thing that I kind of want to do, but I'm kind of sensing something inside of me, knows that it's probably not the greatest of ideas, but, but is it a sin to do whatever you're dreaming of? Now, uh, when I was in late middle school, or it might have been early high school, I can remember going to my youth pastor and asking this question. I asked him the question, is it a sin to make out with a girl? I just... Had to know. Okay, is it a sin to make out with a girl? And he answered the question really well, and, you know, he kind of danced around. He's like, we don't really have, like, a passage of Scripture that says, thou shalt not make out with girls. But, like, you know, there's maybe some evidence to suggest that that's not the greatest idea. But maybe in some cases, he's like, you know, that wouldn't be, like, the worst thing. And I, of course, some, you know, middle school shams sitting there. I'm like, okay. Is it a sin to go, like, the next step? And, like, how many times has the poor youth pastor faced that question? Is it, like, a sin to go, like, to the next Base. I mean, just hypothetically, if that was like, like, I can also remember asking uh, my youth pastor, is it a sin to swear? I, I want to know, is it a sin to swear? And he had a very definitive answer for that. And the answer, he's like, you know, there's, there's certainly a lot of scripture that would suggest that swearing is probably not a great idea. You shouldn't use foul language. And I was like, okay, what about, is it a sin to tell jokes that are probably like less than appropriate? I mean, they don't have explicit swear words in them, but is it, a, is it a sin to, you know, go back and forth with the youth pastor, like all day. Now, by the way, if you're sitting here today and you are a middle schooler or you are a high school student, I have some hot, hot information for you today. That This is exciting stuff. I want to let you all in today on a little bit of an adult secret. See, when you play the whole, is it a sin to fill in the blank game? We know as adults, most of us, that what you are asking about is something that you are already engaging in. Okay. You, you, are, you are incriminating yourself in this moment. So when you come up to me and you ask the hypothetical question of, is it a sin for me to fool around with my girlfriend? I know that that's not some broad, like if it happens in the distant future type question, I know that it's already happening. I know that you are already fooling around with your girlfriend, which by the way, kind of makes things really, really awkward when you bring her to church for the very first time and I have to sit there and shake her hand and mom and dad are standing next to you and they got like the biggest grins on their faces because they are just so proud of their angelic son and the positive influence he is having on her life and bringing her to church. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if you only knew the question that he asked me last weekend. Now, what's interesting? What's interesting about this, is that this question, as we get older, as we get into adulthood, it doesn't really go away. And in fact, I know this to be the case because of what I do for a living. As a pastor, I get asked this question all the time. And guess what, not by teenagers. Adults ask me this question all the time. All that happens is as you get older, as you enter into adulthood, you just get a little bit more creative into how you ask the question. And your line of questioning, generally speaking, becomes a little bit less juvenile sometimes. Now, what adults are particularly gifted at is justifying their behavior as they ask the question because adults are smart, that they know that all the other adults know the adult secret, that when you ask these questions, you're already engaging in this thing, and so they construct their questions in such a way and they wordsmith them in such a way that they're kinda trying to direct you to an answer that you're hoping that you'll answer in that way. Uh, Let me give you an example of this. One of the common questions that I get uh, as a pastor is from young people, who, who are just kind of hypothetically wondering, okay, like the whole, is it a sin to live together But before we get married? And, and how that usually goes down is the couple will come to me, and they'll usually kick around imaginary rocks for about 20 minutes, and then eventually one of them will make like mild eye contact, and they're like, okay, just <sighs> hypothetically. If a young couple, you know, like if they were like moving together, and like, you know, like I, I saw something that like financially speaking, it actually is like a really good idea, because you take two rents, and you just make it one rent now, and and somebody was telling me it actually like, expresses this great deal of commitment that you're willing to take such a big step together before marriage. And then my friend passed along this Facebook article, which, I mean, it was a great point, that it actually allows you to kind of try out this whole marriage thing before you actually get married, you make sure you're compatible, you don't end up getting divorced. I mean, it's just like, so, I mean, I, what, what do you think? I mean, like, do you think there's probably, I mean, there's some cases where that's probably a good idea. And I'm like, huh, it sure seems like, wait, are you guys living together? You you, you seem like you want me to condone the behavior that you are already feeling guilty about. Or or how about this one? This happens all the time. My wife and I have dinner with with, with a lot of people and a lot of couples. And uh, one of the things that sometimes happens is when you first meet with the pastor, you don't really know us, like you're on your best behavior and you talk like... You're just ready to rock. And then about 30 minutes into it, you start to let your guard down a little bit. And this literally, like this situation has happened multiple times where the the, the somebody, let's say it's a wife, she casually mentions like, you know what, on Sunday nights, like I ask them what they're interested in on Sunday nights, you know, we watch Game of Thrones together. And they're like, oh crud, I just told my pastor that I watch Game of Thrones. Now, listen, quick disclaimer here. I don't know what the heck the Game of Thrones is about. I've never seen Game of Thrones, never watched 30 seconds of Game of Thrones. Just from people I trust, they've told me it's maybe less than appropriate. They're like, you know, it's just maybe not the, the best show for people to be watching. But now you've trapped yourself. You, you just admitted that you watch Game of Thrones. And then it's like this whole thing, like Game of Thrones. Do you watch Game of Thrones? No, probably not. You, you don't watch Game of Thrones. Yeah, you watch Game of Thrones. The storytelling is unbelievable. And, and just the set design's like out of control. And there are some inappropriate parts, but don't worry. We like fast forward to those, obviously. And it's, it's the last season, so it's coming to an end. So we probably won't watch that anymore. Do you, Game of Thrones, like, you, you ever okay to watch that? I'm like, huh, you made that awkward really, really quick. Again, it seems like you already know the answer to the question that you are asking. You're just, for whatever reason, looking for your pastor to sign off on it. Now, one of the things that, that I really, really admire about James, again, the, the suddenly believing brother of Jesus is his bluntness. When he when you read his letter, and, and all of you are going to do that, right? Seeing some heads nod, that's a good thing. Okay, he kind of jumps all over the place. He basically just states things as facts, and then he's just kind of off and on to the next topic, to the next subject. In fact, as you're reading James, you'll find that probably it'll seem to you like he's a bit of a scatterbrain. There's not like this great artistic flow as to how he writes. It's almost like he saw his brother rise from the dead, and then he suddenly had this kind of epiphany where he's like, crud, I should have been writing stuff down. And he just hurries, like writes it all down before he's gonna forget, and that's where we kinda get the letter from James. It's like these scatterbrain type thoughts that he writes down, and he's like, man, this stuff that my brother had been talking about is suddenly a lot more important than I once thought, because again, he predicted his death, and he predicted his resurrection, and he pulled that off. Now, one of the seemingly out-of-nowhere statements that we have, and it's gonna be our focus here this morning, uh, we find it right at the end of, of James' fourth chapter of his letter. And, and this morning, we're literally, and any of you can handle this, we're going to be focusing in on just one verse. Just one verse. But, but it's a verse that I think is a big, big deal. It's, it's a verse, it's a statement that ought to have profound implications on every single one of our lives, uh, especially if you're sitting here today and you would call yourself a Jesus follower. It, it's a statement that will forever remove the need for the, is it a sin to fill in the blank game? It's a statement that if we took it seriously, we wouldn't need our pastor or our Christian friend or anybody else for that matter to help play morality police officer for us anymore. You ready for it? This is exciting stuff. Right at the end of the fourth chapter of his letter, he says, remember, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And it's like, it just comes out of nowhere, and then the chapter ends, and he doesn't expound upon it whatsoever. He just makes the say, remember, it's sin to know what you ought to do, and then not do it. When you're chugging along and you're reading through the fourth chapter, again, it will feel like it comes out of nowhere. But what you realize is when you study this piece of scripture, you study this one verse, in the greater context of the entire book of James, it's actually a summary of everything he talks about through the first four chapters. See, in the first four chapters, James dives into this myriad of ethical dilemmas and problems that people are being faced with, and it's almost like like he gets tired of talking about the specifics, or perhaps he has this moment of self-realization, and he recognizes that there's no way I'm going to cover everything, and he has this all-encompassing genius yet simple thought, which he shares with us here. He says, it's sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Now, now, here's really what rests at the center of this. And we've talked a little bit about this before. Um, you know, and you know, and you know, and you know, and you know. We all know. Don't play stupid with me. Don't play stupid with your friend. Don't play stupid with your spouse. Don't play stupid with that person that you pose the morality questions to. Because come on, you know. Don't play dumb with God. You know. Everybody looked at the person next to them and say, you know. Come on. Now, say it back to him, you know, God cares so much about you, as in every single one of us, that he has built inside of us this, this intuitive thing that we are all born with, most commonly referred to as a conscience that steers us towards those things that are right and away from those things that are wrong. And make no mistake about it, this is not something that is bestowed upon you upon accepting Jesus into your life. Every single one of you have this thing, Christian or not. And all of you, as in 100% of you, would be wise to begin listening to that conscience. It's like this little piece of God that is built inside of you that steers us towards those things that will ultimately be beneficial for us and ultimately good for us and away from those things that will ultimately cause us harm. Now, the inverse of this statement that James makes uh, holds every bit as true. The inverse of it would be, it is sin to know what you ought not to do, and and then you just go ahead and you do it anyway. But, But here's the reality with that. Everybody already knows that, right? Christian, not a Christian, young, old, no matter what your background looks like, we all already know that. That it's sin to know what you ought not to do and then you just go ahead and you do it anyway. Now some of you, depending on where you find yourself in this whole faith journey, you might not totally be comfortable using the word sin because I mean sin, it just feels like, ugh, it feels so heavy, it feels like such a just a weighty word. So you could say maybe wrong. It's wrong to know what you ought not to do and then you just go ahead and you do it. But nonetheless, we would all agree on this. And I think it's why James doesn't really pay any attention to it. We tend to limit sin, think about this, we tend to limit sin or wrong behavior to specific acts. We think of sin as doing something wrong. And James, understanding that he is writing to adults, not children, he doesn't even bother addressing it. Because again, you know. See, you don't need to be told that looking at pornography is wrong your conscience already told you so. You don't need to be told that being married and also flirting with your coworkers is wrong because your conscience already told you so. You don't need to be told that using that language is wrong because your conscience already told you so. You don't need to be told that lying, whether you're age five or 55 is wrong because again, your conscience already told you so. And so James is bypassing that. Because again, you're adults. That's common sense, you already know. He he bypasses the obvious for for the not so obvious. And he points to something that is so much easier to dismiss. And and in true James fashion, he makes this painfully blunt statement. And, And I'm paraphrasing, but he's saying, sin is also not doing, think about that. Sin is also not doing what is right. Sin, he is saying, isn't just doing wrong. James would tell us it goes farther than that. It it also encompasses not doing the things that we know that we ought to do. And and I'm telling you, as Jesus followers in particular, if this became the filter that we ran our lives through, can, can you even imagine what God would begin to do in and through you? There are a few verses in my life that have had a more profound implications on my life than this single statement. Because when you allow this truth to sink in, the choices that God places in front of us are no longer either or options. What once felt like eh, it's just not that big of a deal suddenly feels like a big deal. What once felt like eh, it just doesn't really matter suddenly matters. Some of you might recall, uh, for about an eight-month period, we had another pastor on staff here named Lance Patterson. Lance is one of my closest friends on the planet, um, and man, we, we loved about those eight months that we had him on staff, and it, w- it was too short, in my opinion, but th- that's it's how it worked out. And uh, Lance, uh, he was led, him and his wife and his family, they, they were initially serving as missionaries down in Guatemala. And then eventually God led them to help start a church in Guatemala. And then because of some health concerns with Lauren and the treatment that she needed to receive, and it was really only available in the States, they ended up moving back to Michigan, where both Lance and Lauren are from. And and, and when this happened, it was this moment that was just like, oh my gosh, we felt like God was just like colliding our worlds. It felt so exciting. We'd always dreamed of like working together. We'd be like, oh my gosh, what if we start a church together? This would be like the greatest thing ever. And so when they were led to come back to Michigan, we're like, he's doing it. This is incredible. Like we're finally gonna get to work together together in the local church. And almost immediately after he got back to Michigan, there was this unsettling inside of him. And he started to feel like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be doing this. And it took him a while to tell me because he was just kind of, I think, just nervous to like, you know, be like uncertain. And he's like, dude, I, I know that this sounds crazy. And I can remember when he told me. He's like, I don't think we're supposed to be at Grumlaw long term. He's like, I, I I actually think that God might be leading us to this church down in Dallas, Texas, called Shoreline City, a place that they had never lived before, where they had no roots, where they had no family members, and I was like, well, let's start processing through that. And that voice just kept getting louder and louder and louder, and God just kept pushing more and more and more, and it finally, it got to a point that if he didn't make a move, it would be downright sinning. You guys, sin is not just doing wrong. Because think about this in in their context. What Lance and Lauren were doing, nobody would look at that as wrong. I mean, think about it. They're working for a church. They're making pennies on the dollar. I mean, they're barely screaming by working at a brand new church, helping us go so far beyond the scenes. Like like they were doing really, really good things. But again, it would have been flat out disobedience. It would have been flat out sin for them to continue to ignore God's promptings. Some of you, you're sitting here today, and we've been talking about this baptism service on October the sixth. And in fact, every single time we show one of those baptism stories, that there's something that kind of rises up inside of you, and you know you're supposed to take that step, but what do you do? You go, uh, 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 get out of her, and you just shove that feeling down because you have all these tailor-made excuses on the tip of your tongue. I'm too young. Know, I'm too old. This is something that I know I probably ought to do, but you know, I got baptized as an infant. I don't know what my parents are going to think. Like, that's like backstabbing or something. Like, you know, and you have all these excuses. You're like, man, I just, there's things that I'm going to have to share in my story that, that other people don't know about yet. And so it's like, and you have all these excuses. But meanwhile, James would tell you, God has not let that go. He keeps putting it on you. And you continue to be disobedient, which he would say, hey, it's not either or. That's actually sin. So Some of you, God's been pushing you to serve. Maybe it's here at Grumlaw. Maybe it's with some nonprofit right here in this community to, to give up of your time for something that will have no direct benefit on you. But again, you have all these excuses. I'm too busy. Work schedule's crazy. My kids are involved with sports. Just allow it. If I say yes to that, I'm gonna have to start saying no to some other things. And you just look at it as, a, eh, it's not that big of a deal. And again, James would tell you, no, it is kind of a big deal. It is, that, that, that's being flat out disobedient to what God is calling you to do. Some of you, again, every time the generosity moment comes here and you hear about again, like just like what we're doing as a church, it's like, man, we, we probably ought to start giving, but it's terrifying for you. It's usually the last thing that we will hand over control to God with. The last thing we'll give Him is our finances and you just keep shoving it back down. And God would tell you that that is disobedience, that that, that is sin. Some of you, God's been telling you to make a career change, and it's terrifying for you. And God's saying, okay, yeah, you can just continue to look at that as not that big of a deal, but it's disobedience. I I don't know what it is for you, and and maybe I just mentioned it, and I nailed it on the head for you. Others of you, it'll probably be different from person to person, A word of warning there. Last week, Jason, he talked about how sometimes Christians, Jesus followers, can be marked as arrogant, judgmental. So so quick to pass on to the rules to the other people, to the people that are in their lives. They just can't begin to understand how God isn't doing that in that person's life. Just because God is telling you to make a move in a certain direction doesn't mean he's telling somebody else. And it's incredible how self-righteous we can become. That we forget just weeks earlier, months earlier, we weren't doing that. Just because God is telling you to move, just because God is telling you to make some leap, doesn't mean that he's telling somebody else. But nonetheless, God's very, very clearly nudging you. He's very clearly prompting you. And James, the brother of Jesus, who heard it all from Jesus himself, is saying it's way bigger than either or. It's way bigger than just whatever. It's way bigger than just, oh, you know, both are pretty good options. He would tell us it's disobedience and in turn, it is sin. You know what, you have no idea. You have no idea what's waiting for you on the other side of that yes. You have no idea what's waiting for you on the other side of that step of obedience. As significant or as insignificant as that decision maybe seems, it surely is not the finish line God longs and wants to take you farther. He he wants to use you for more, but you're never going to get there if you continue to be disobedient to what he is asking you to do right now. You'll never get there. I, I had no idea that five years ago that my wife and I were were being led to start a church. Had no idea that this was on the horizon. In fact, it actually all started with a trip down to Guatemala to see our friends that I just spoke about, Lance and and Lauren. And and honestly, I, I look back now and I've had to confess that to God. It was disobedience because that trip was two years overdue. For two years, God was telling us to go down there. And I just thought it was another trip. I just thought it was a vacation to go see some friends, not realizing that it would be on that trip that God would start to stir these things up inside of me and people would start to speak to me about this whole idea of starting a church, which would eventually lead me to a career change, which would land me at another church start, another church plant, which would eventually land us to what we know today as Grumlaw, saying yes to ultimately what God has created me for. I am certainly, this morning, not trying to paint the picture that myself or my wife are special. Uh, We are not. You would be wise to not place us on any sort of pedestal. The, The only, and I mean only, difference between myself and some other people is that I just started to take this verse seriously. When God nudges, when he tells us to make those leaps, we simply started being obedient. We stopped looking at these things as both are good options and we started to see it for what it actually was that when we continue to ignore them, it's just flat out sin that if we didn't make a move when God calls us to, we're living in disobedience. Now, the best part of this is, and and I certainly don't want to paint the picture here this morning that this is a negative thing or I don't ever want to be a church that guilts people into something uh, because that doesn't work. You know, guilt-driven decisions never, ever, ever last. But the best part of this is, is when we say yes to God, when we move, when he prompts, when we move, when he nudges, it always, as in 100% of the time, it always works out better for us. I can look out at all of you right now and tell you that my life is better than it's ever been. And I'm telling you, it's because I just started saying yes to God when He impresses things on my heart, when I get those unshakable feelings that just will not go away. Whether it's a big decision, like switching careers, or it's a small decision when you're sitting at the grocery store line and you just feel this unshakable thought that, man, I think I'm supposed to pay for that person's groceries, and you just do it. God, some of you need to hear this this morning God is for you. God has your best interest in mind. God's not just pushing you to something different. No, 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 it's better than that. He's pushing you to something better. So listen, I get it. It might sound reckless to you to start giving away a percentage of your income. It might seem like the most reckless thing that you could possibly do right now. But God wants you to experience financial freedom. He wants you no longer to be owned by the things that you own. And the only way that you are going to break the power of greed, which is really what is at the heart of all of that, is by giving a percentage of your income back to God when you recognize, you know, it was all his in the first place. It it might be terrifying to switch careers, but God's going, come on, come on, come on. I just want you to trust me. I have something so much better for you. It, It might seem scary for your relationship, for your checking account, for your finances, to move out of your girlfriend, to move out of your boyfriend, to move out of your fiance's place. But God's going, come on, if you would just trust me, I have something so much better for you. And I'm telling you, if you ever doubt that, you need to look no further than the cross. He who did not withhold his own son the God that went to such enormous lengths to demonstrate how for you He is when He sacrificed His Son for you on a cross. If we as Jesus followers took this one statement from James' letter seriously, just imagine with me how He would begin to use you. Imagine how He would begin to use this community of people that show up here on Sunday mornings, this church. Whatever God, whatever God is nudging you towards, whatever that looks like for you this morning, because again, I'm confident if you are listening, he is saying something. Take that step. And why? (laughs) Because he has something that is so much better for you.